All right, church fam, how we doing? Yeah, yeah, it is almost summer. Who's ready? Who's ready? I know, Scott, who's, who's done with school? A, f- a few, nice, Congra- congratulations, or congratulation, right? See what I did there? <laughs> um, yeah, super excited. Summer's almost here. School's almost over. We, it's, it's, just, it's so close we can taste it. Um, hey, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to dive in together this morning. Jesus, we love you, and we are super grateful, Father, that we get a chance to come into a place like this, like Christy said, that we don't have to make ourselves perfect. Uh, Father, we don't have to, to come in here and try to be someone, pretend to be someone or something that we're not. Why? Because you meet us right where we are. Uh, but the cool thing about you, Jesus, is that you don't leave us there. Uh, you invite us to, to get to know you, to follow you, to love you. Uh, you demonstrate and show what real love looks like. And so, Father, today I pray as we dive into your word, uh, you'd open it up in new ways and that we would see that following you is not a task. It's not something that we have to labor in. It's a relationship we can lean into. Um, so, so we just pray that, Lord, that, 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 the, that your spirit, which we know is here, will make this word come to life in us this morning and we'll walk out different, not because we sat in a place and, and, and listened to songs or sang songs or listened to somebody talk. We can't, we'll, we'll, we'll walk out different because we met you. Um, so Jesus, we, we pray this uh, and we, we ask for this all in your name. Everybody said, amen. All right. So in, uh, in Denver in 2011, uh, a, a real life weekend at Bernie's scenario took, if you've ever seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. In Denver in 2011, this kind of real life weekend at Bernie's thing happened, right? Two men went to a friend's house. Um, when they walked into his house, they found him unresponsive, no pulse, dead. And instead of calling the police, they loaded him in the back seat of their car and they seat belted him in and they went out for like a night on the town, right? The dead guy's in the back seat of their car. And, and by the time their night was over, they racked up a $4,000 bar, bar tab, spent $500 at an all-night diner and $100 at a burrito restaurant, $4,600 in total, and they used their dead friend's card to pay for it all. And so they, they then, after that, they took their friend back to the house. They, they loaded his body into his bed and then called the cops. And we said, hey, we think our friend might be dead. And the, the police show up, and of course, they realize what happened, and they end up charging these two guys with identity theft, with criminal impersonation of a corpse. And they asked, you know, why did you do this? Like, why, why did you think this was a good idea? And they said, well, our friend would have wanted to go out like this. Our friend would have wanted one more night with, with us, and we just thought we would give him one more night, like with his friends, you know, out on the town. And they said, well, then you, did you take him into, like, the restaurants and the bar and, and, and the diner? And they said, no, we left him in the back seat. Which, again, it's one of those with friends like these, who needs enemies, right? And this is all going to make sense here in just a second. Last week, we started unpacking this kind of two-part message on simple faith and simple faithfulness. And, and that's really the core of this entire series. And if this is your first time hanging with us today, for the last few weeks, what we've been doing is decluttering and simplifying things in our lives, right, that have become overly complicated. Things that have become too complex. Things like church, Church sometimes gets overly complicated and too complex. Things like friendships, relationships, community, even things like suffering and humility. Just about every aspect of our lives and our existence gets loaded down with all kinds of extra junk that leads to things like confusion and frustration. We ask ourselves, we wonder a lot, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right or am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? If I don't, what are the consequences? What are the consequences? What do I stand to lose if I mess up? 
If I don't look the part, act the part, dress the part, speak the part, like all those kinds of things. And here's the deal. Here's why all of this matters. Because Jesus, what he taught, was a pretty simple and straightforward and clear way of living. I mean, Jesus, throughout his public ministry, pointed to and he promised and he modeled this way of life that was really clear and really simple. And when that gets kind of muddied up and, and cluttered up and complicated by things like religious garbage or, or, or self-righteous conditions or, or ulterior motives or, or loaded expectations that they need that they just aren't fair, instead of living and thriving and growing and flourishing in this life that Jesus calls the abundant life, the life that Jesus desires for us, the life that he makes possible, here's what happens. We end up living a life and or maybe we force other people to live a life that might look similar on the surface to the with God life that Jesus offers us, but it's not the real thing. It's like the dead guy who was seat belted in the back seat of the car. It's an imitation of an abundant life on the outside. And maybe some of us know this all too well. We're trying so hard to look the part, act the part, speak the part, do the right things on the outside, but on the inside, we feel dead. It's an imitation of a life on the outside, but on the inside, it feels like it's dead or dying. And I think it's a good reminder for us as we kind of dive in today. When we talk about simple, here's what we don't mean. Simple doesn't always mean easy. Here's what simple does mean. Simple means this. It's real, it's right, it's true, and it's good. And I don't know about you, but as I thought about this, it might just be me. I feel like, for me, I'm more like willing, ready, and able to do difficult things, to go through like trials in my life, if I know it's real, right? There's no catch. I'm not being set up to fail, right? I'm not being set up to, like, the, 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 the deck is not stacked against me. Like, I'm, I'm willing to go through something difficult if it's real. There's no catch. There's no hidden agenda. It's right. Like, this is the right path to be on. We were talking last night, uh, had, had a group of people over to the house last night, and we were talking about climbing mountains and hiking hard trails. And sometimes, like, the, the path to the summit is difficult, Sometimes when you, when you hike a mountain or you hike a trail, it's hard. But here's the thing. You know you're on the right path. And as difficult as it might be, the destination is good. Where you're heading is good. So as difficult as it is, the path is still right. It's the path to be on. It's true. We're not being misled or deceived. Even when things are difficult, if we know somebody's telling us the truth, sometimes it's difficult to hear the truth. Sometimes the truth isn't the easiest thing to hear. Sometimes the truth isn't the easiest thing to say. But we know when we hear truth from someone that we trust, it's good. We're not being misled. We're not being deceived by someone. And I think we're willing to go through difficult things if there's a purpose and if there's a promise that no matter how hard it gets, in the end, it's going to be good for us. And we're going to be better for it. And what Jesus, it's important, it's important for us to know this, Jesus never promised us an easy life. Never. In fact, in John 16, Jesus said, in this world, in this life, you will have trouble. Not you might. Not it could. You could. You might run into some things every now and then. No, he says, you, you will have trouble. But catch this, all right? In the same breath in John 16, when Jesus looks at us and says, in this life, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In the same breath, he says, take heart. Don't give up. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Meaning this, and sometimes it's hard to understand what Jesus was really getting at at that point. Like, what does it mean that he's overcome the world? Here's what it means. Jesus literally overcame everything that the human experience could throw at him, including death. Everything that the human experience tried to throw at Jesus to make life difficult, to shut him down, to make him stop, to make him quit, he overcame all of it, including death. And he still won. 
And so here's what that means for us. Even though times and seasons in life might be difficult, Jesus can handle it. And when we partner our lives with Jesus, that means we can handle it. So the simple version of all this is really this. Hang on. Don't let go of Jesus. The simplest version of what it means to to live the with God life is to, to hang on to Jesus, to not let go of him. And when we do that, right, nothing, we understand that nothing and no one else can do the kinds of things that he did. And the life that we live connected to him is a life like no one else, right? No one else can do what he can. No one else can do what he will. No one else has done what he's done. Now, just to get us on the same page today as we dive in, we're going to be talking about faith and faithfulness. So a couple quick definitions. And if you're new to adventure, here's how we take notes. Just get your phone out and grab a picture of the screen, right? That's how we do this. If you want to actually write down notes, you can do that. But the easiest way to do it, pull out your phone, take a picture of the screen. So I'm going to give you a couple of definitions. We talked about this last week, some definitions of what is faith and what is faithfulness. Because those are kind of churchy words. They get tossed around a lot. And it's like, yeah, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to be faithful? Here are the definitions. Faith is who or what we believe, we trust, And have confidence, that word confidence means act with faith. We have confidence in that they're going to provide what we need and take care of us in life. Right? So that's a really clear and simple definition of faith. If you want to grab a picture of that, do that. Faithfulness is how we shape and order our lives around what we have faith in. And that's how that works, right? The simple kind of clearest definitions of faith and faithfulness. Faith is what we believe faithfulness is how we live based on what we believe. And here's the truth, right? You and I, we will be faithful to what we have faith in. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you want to know what I believe in in life, all you have to do is is kind of watch my life for a little bit, and I'll show you. I'll show you with my faithfulness, with the way I live my life, what I believe in. And who I believe in and trust and have confidence in to best take care of me and provide what I need. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the times, I think for, mo- for, for most of us, that person is us. It's ourselves. Right? I, have, I have more faith in me. Why? Because I know me, right? I know me. I know what I'm capable of. I know w- what I can do. And so I'm going to be faithful to me. Because the, the truth is we will be faithful to what we have faith in. Who or whatever you trust and have confidence in and believe will best take care of you and provide for you, you will bend and shape and order your life around that. So last week, we kind of defined what simple faith was, what it looks like, and I don't have time to recap all of that. So if you missed last week, go back, look on YouTube, Facebook, podcast, those kinds of things. But just a quick flyby, quick review so we get on the on this, we jump off the same foot. Simple faith is simply this. It's believing and trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's having confidence that he can do everything that we see him promise in in the scripture and providing what we need and that he can take better care of us than anything or anyone else. That's what simple faith is. We talk about what what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? That. That's what that means. I mean, you saw Jake get baptized this morning. There came a point in Jake's life when he realized that's true. And, and I made that decision personally, now I want to make that decision publicly in front of the whole church. I believe and I trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Everything Jesus says about himself, right, in scripture, I believe that, that everything the Bible says about Jesus, I believe that to be true. And I have confidence, I, I act in faith that Jesus, he's going to do everything that he promised in providing what I need and taking care of me in life. He can do it better than anybody or, or anyone, right? That's what that means. So faithfulness, right, when we talk about that, Right, the, the goal of, of simple faith is really this. It's to know Jesus. We kind of we decluttered all of this. The, the goal of simple faith, if you want to know, like, what's the goal of faith? It's to know Jesus more and more and more. 
right? Like your, your faith journey doesn't kind of come to its conclusion at the moment of your baptism. Your faith journey doesn't come to its conclusion at the moment that you accept Jesus. That's a big moment. We're going to talk about that here a little more in a minute. But that's the goal. The goal is, hey, this relationship started. Now I want to get to know you more and more and more and more. We said this last week, like the, the way to, to kind of grow and get stronger in our faithfulness, the way we do this, the way we grow and get stronger in our faithfulness is to grow and get stronger in our faith and what we believe. And so the question that we're going to kind of answer today is how do we do that? Like, how do we do that? How do we grow stronger in our faithfulness, right, how we live, by growing stronger in our faith, what we believe? How does that work? And here's the truth. You really need two things. You need a plan and a path. A plan and a path are the kinds of things that we need, right, to, to really grow in what we believe and then how we live our lives. And here's why you need a plan. If you don't have a plan, you won't do anything about it. If you don't have a plan, you're not going to do anything. And if you don't have a path, you won't get where you want to go. You won't get anywhere. So we've been unpacking Philippians. We've been living in the book of Philippians. Open up to Philippians chapter 3, if you've got your Bible or Bible app. We're going to pick up in verse 12, which is where we left off last week. It says this. It's not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, just pause here for a second so you kind of get oriented with what's going on here. The person that's writing this letter is a guy named Paul. Paul was, was someone who went all over the world and helped to plant churches, start communities of faith like this, right? Families of faith, people living, like seeking to live that with God life that Jesus makes possible. Paul went all over the place to do that. And so he's writing this letter to a group of people in a place called Philippi, just like us, who are asking these kind of questions. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And what does it mean to live life like Jesus desires us to live? How do we do this? And so Paul says, listen, like, I haven't already obtained this. I'm not perfect, but here's what I do. I press on to make it my own. Why? Because, because Jesus made me his own. So let's pause right here at verse 12, right? When it comes to simple faith, Paul says, I'm not there yet. Like, I'm not there yet. I haven't obtained this. I'm not perfect when it comes to faith. I haven't arrived. I'm still growing. He says, I'm still a work in progress. And here's the deal. I love this. I love that someone that wrote the Bible is willing to admit that they're not perfect. And I don't know about you, right, but I have a hard time relating to perfect people. Right? People that think they're perfect, I don't know that I can relate to that person. I, I, I don't know what it's like to, like, they don't know what it's like to struggle, right? How, how, how do we have a conversation with somebody that's perfect? How can we relate in our lives to someone who's got it all together, never makes mistakes, never misses? It's hard to do that. But someone who is willing to admit up front, hey, I'm not perfect, that's somebody that I can lean into and listen to. And so when we, when we start unpacking, when we start diving into Scripture and we start reading stories of people in the Bible, one of the things we say here at Adventure a lot is, is that Bible people are just people people, like just like us. I think a lot of times we, we think, well, if they're in the Bible, that means that they're special, there's, they've got some sort of magic power, some, some gift, right? They're different than everybody. No, they're just like us, including someone like Paul who wrote pretty much half of the New Testament. One of the dudes that actually wrote the Bible says, hey, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I haven't made it. One of the commentaries I read this week said this, that Paul's goal when it comes to his own personal faith was this. It was the complete and full knowledge of the person of Jesus, both in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. 
And so when we talk about a plan and a path, this is one of the things that I love. Paul, he's willing to put his own faith journey on display for all of us to see. And here's, it's, it's in this moment, right? It's in, it's in looking at Paul's faith journey, going, hey, listen, when it comes to faith and faithfulness, you need a plan, you need a path. Let me show you mine. Let me, just, let me just talk about the plan that I'm working. Let me talk about the path that I'm on, right? It's in this that we see, like, this, this whole faith journey on display. It's we see the link between faith and faithfulness. Why? Because, because Paul's goal isn't just to know more information about Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying in verse 12. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus, and I want to grow so close to Jesus that I begin to live like him. That, that my belief, my faith in Jesus causes my life, my faithfulness to look like Jesus. So Paul says this, I'm not perfect. And so I don't quit. I don't, I don't claim to have arrived. I don't claim to be perfect. I don't, I don't stop. What does he say? I press on to what? To a deeper, stronger, more intimate faith. Why? Because this, because the depth and rich and strength of our, richness of our strength determines the depth and richness and strength of our faithfulness. Paul says, listen, if I, if I want to have a deep, rich, and strong, faithful life, the way to do that is to have a deep, rich, and strong faith. I press on. I press on. I continue down the path. I continue to work the plan. Why? Because I want my belief to be strong. Because if my belief, what I believe is strong, then the way I live will begin to look like Jesus. I want to get real practical for a second in terms of this whole faith and faithfulness thing. This coming January, Christy and I are going to celebrate our 20th anniversary. It's crazy, right? January 2nd, uh, 2004, we stood in a church in front of our family and our friends, and we vowed, right, in that moment to have faith in one another and to be faithful to one another. But that moment is not where our relationship started. We dated for two years before that, and in that time, we, we grew in what we knew about and what we knew of one another. And it's not just information, right? I, I didn't just learn information about Christy, or she just didn't learn information about me. We, we learned really what goes on in the heart and mind of each other, right? We knew about one another. We grew in that closeness of knowing one another, and it wasn't always easy, like the first year we dated, uh, we broke up and got back together seven different times. The last time that, that we brought, you would have thought, this is for good, right? The last time we broke up, she slammed the passenger door of my truck so hard the window just dropped down in the door. Like, I'm like, well, now, now it's, it's almost a convertible, right? And so seven different times, and yes, it was all my fault, right? At least that's what my therapist tells me, right? But here's the deal. As we grew closer together, our belief and our trust and our confidence in each other grew. And it reached a point where we had to do something about it. Our faith, what we believed to be true about one another, how much we had grown in knowing one another, right? That faith turned into faithfulness, and it started to affect our lives and the way that we lived. So we got engaged. And about a year later, there was a wedding. And in that wedding ceremony, my faith and my faithfulness in our relationship led to my identity and my title in life changing. I was now a husband. Like it changed my life. I was now a husband. 
Why? Because I had faith and I had faithfulness, right? My faith, my belief, how much I knew of my wife, how much I knew about my wife, right? How much I knew about her. It led to my life literally changing. It led to faith, led to faithfulness. Same for Christy. Her life changed. She was now a wife. Right? Everything about us was changing. Our faith, what we believed, led to faithfulness. It changed how we lived. And that literally changed who we were. And our lives look different. Like I said, we, we will be faithful to what we have faith in. So for us, we started to bend and, and shape and form our lives around one another. But here's what we didn't do. After our wedding, here's what didn't happen. After the wedding reception and the cake and the dancing and like saying goodbye to all of our friends, the culmination of, of over three years of a relationship leading to this point, here's what we didn't do. We didn't hop in my truck, which had a repaired window at that point, and go back to our house and sit down at our kitchen table with two pieces of paper and say, okay, now, in light of our faith and faithfulness in one another and our new status of our relationship and our title changes, right, Here's what faithfulness will now entail. Now that I am your husband, Christy, I do hereby agree in writing to be faithful to doing these things. Taking out the trash, mowing the lawn, putting gas in the car, and protecting our family from enemies foreign and domestic and from any all animal attacks, right? That's not, like, we didn't do that. That's not how it worked. That's not what we do. These, we didn't sit down and, and, and after our wedding, sit at this table across from each other and come to a place where we agree, right? Here's, here are the established terms of agreement when it comes to faith and faithfulness until death do us part. That's not what we did. Here's what we did. We got on a plane and we went to the beach. And we spent time getting to know one another, right? Get your mind out of the gutter, Okay. The first move wasn't, wasn't to try. The first move in faith and faithfulness was not to try and figure out the, ta the tasks of what it means to be faithful. The first move, the plan and the path for faith and faithfulness in our marriage was to grow in faith. To know each other more and more and more. To realize we haven't arrived. This thing didn't cross the finish line. Really, we just got to the starting line. And as we continue to grow in faith, as we continue to know each other more and more and more, things begin to change. Faithfulness begins to change. Our lives begin to change. Our titles shifted 11 years ago. We went from being husband and wife to now being mom and dad. Why? Because our faith in one another led to faithfulness. Let's say, listen, we want to start a family. We want to invite another life into this. And a couple of years later, it happened again. We invited another life into our family. Why? Because faith and faithfulness led us to change our lives. But the first move on the plan and the path wasn't to figure out the tasks that we needed to do, right? It was to grow in faith. It was to know each other more and more and more. to let And then from that, let faithfulness follow. But here's the deal, and here's where I'm going with all this. For the last 20 years... Through all kinds of seasons, through all kinds of ups and downs, through really difficult times and really great times, right? There's never been a point for Christy and I when we've looked at each other and said, you know what? I think we're good. Like, my faith in you has reached a peak. She might have thought that, like, once or twice, right? But we've not ever looked at our marriage and said, you know, I think we're done growing. I think we're good. I don't know that my faithfulness to you can do anything more than it's already done. Like, I know you enough. I've seen enough, Right? I don't need to know anymore. I don't need to see anymore. I don't need to do any more than I've already done. I've done enough. We've not reached that point. We've never looked at each other and said that. Here's what we say. It's like we continue to press in to knowing each other more and more and more, to growing closer together. 
And as our faith grows, our faithfulness follows. And here's the deal. I don't do the things that I do for Christy, and she doesn't do the things that she does for me because they're on a list of faithful expectations or faithful actions that we've agreed to. I do the things I do for Christy because I love her. She does the things she does for me because she loves me. Our growing faith in one another leads to these growing expressions of faithfulness to and for one another. That's how this works. Now, enough about us. Let's talk about you. Because I know some of us in the room is like, well, you know, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not married. I don't like, I don't, I haven't experienced this. That's okay. It, it, this is not faith and faithfulness are not something that, that you can only experience within the context of like your relationship status. Because here's the truth: all of us have the opportunity to be in a relationship with Jesus. So when you trust Jesus, like that is, let me just tell you, that is the most important decision you can ever make with your life. And when that happens, your life changes forever. Your title changes forever. Every, your citizenship changes forever. Just, lo, just a few verses later in this passage, Paul says in verse 20 that our citizenship as believers and followers of Jesus is in heaven. But here's the deal, same like in our marriage. The first move on the plan and path of faith and faithfulness and simple faith and faithfulness is this. When Jesus changes everything about who you are, in that moment, the first, the first move isn't to begin executing the agreed and accepted terms of faithful duties, roles, and expectations. That's not the first move on the plan and the path of faith and faithfulness. It's to accept the invitation of Jesus to know him. I mean, the first time we see Jesus run into his disciples, he says, come and see the first invitation that he gives to a group of guys who are wanting to know a little bit more about him, he invites them to spend the afternoon. Let's spend the afternoon together. I mean, Jesus, he issues these invitations all throughout Scripture to people. Just come get to know me. No strings attached, no complications, no terms or conditions, no agreements. Just come get to know me. You know what Jesus doesn't start with? You know, later, about three years later in the lives of his disciples, he looks at his disciples and says, hey, listen, come and die. Give your life for this. Take up your cross. Or daily be willing to give up your life for the sake, for the cause of my mission, my movement, my ministry. Jesus didn't start there. Jesus didn't start the first day he introduced himself to to, to a couple of young men and say, hey, listen, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die. Jesus says, listen, if you you want to follow me, just spend some time together. I just want to give you the opportunity to get to know me. And as you do that, you begin to press on, you begin to press in, you begin to, like Paul says, strain and strive to grow in your faith in Jesus. And as you grow in your faith in Jesus by saying yes to that invitation to get to know him, your faithfulness to and for him will follow. Dallas Willard says this, he says, disciplines, the things we do, become both the output of our affections for Jesus and one another and also the means of stirring greater affections for Jesus and one another. In other words, it means this, as we grow in our faith, which is what we believe and what we know to be true about Jesus, we will grow in our faithfulness, which is how we live and what we do, and our love for Jesus compels us to do what he loves, which also causes us to love him more. You get that, it's like the disciplines, it's not the things like, I gotta do this to make him happy. It's no, I love you, and and you make me happy, so I'm gonna do these things because I know they make you happy, which makes me even more happy. It makes me happy that you're happy. I do this because I love you and I know you love me back. 
But here's the truth. The flip side of all this is also true. When you stop pressing in, when you stop straining and striving forward, when you feel like, man, we've reached the finish line, I don't know that I I gotta do much more. I mean, again, let's get practical. When you stop pressing into your marriage, what happens? Distance and detachment start to kind of fill that void. And your faith in one another starts to fall apart. And when faith falls apart, faithfulness follows. Same thing is true when it comes to this relationship with Jesus. When we stop pressing in, right, in that, in that void, doubt starts to form, right? And you start to kind of create distance and you start to detach. And your faith in Jesus starts to fall apart. And guess what? Your faithfulness will follow. And it's in those moments that, that we usually wake up in the wreckage and, and try to figure out, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen to you? I didn't wake up one day and decide to just torpedo my marriage. How did this happen? Over time, we stop pressing in. We stop pressing on, even though sometimes it's difficult, even though sometimes in relationships and friendships, even with family, right, it's hard to press in and press on and strive. It's difficult. We stop doing that. And when we stop doing that, our faith, our belief, our confidence in one another started to fail. And faithfulness followed, and, and over time, We grew distant and we detached. And now the relationship's over. Now you sit in the wreckage of what used to be. Same thing when it comes to this faithful life that Jesus offers us. If we stop pressing in, if we think, you know what, I'm good at just showing up an hour on a Sunday morning, or I'm good just showing up maybe to a Bible study every now and then. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm checking the boxes on the list. I'm good. I don't need to do much more than this. I don't need to press in. I don't need to press on. I don't need to get to know Jesus. I don't, need, I don't need to allow Jesus to get to know me any more than what he already does. In fact, if I share everything that I have to share with Jesus, maybe he won't love me. What happens? Distance, detachment, doubt. Faith starts to fall apart and faithfulness follows. Which is why Paul says this in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do is this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is where the plan and the path ultimately lead. Paul is basically pointing us to the destination. Like the reason that I press in and I press on when I strain and strive, even though it gets difficult, why? There's a goal. There's a prize. There's an upward call of God that isn't just eternal life. It's not just something that kicks in the the moment or the day that you die. It is a life that can be lived now. There's a prize, there's a goal that we press and we strive for that's possible on this side of heaven. That's where the plan and the path lead ultimately is to the life that Jesus desires for us, an abundant life. And so like I got practical a second ago, Paul's gonna get really practical right now with simple faith and faithfulness. What he's gonna do is kind of line out this plan and path for growing in our faith and our faithfulness because Paul knows this, without a plan and without a path, you won't do it. One article I read this week said this, that Paul describes growing in faith and faithfulness as the continual forgetting of what is behind and the relentless centering of his energy and interest on the course ahead of him. And I think it's interesting in this moment, right, that that the kind of language Paul starts to use is the same kind of language and terminology that were used back in this day to describe chariot races in Rome. And remember who he's talking to, right? Philippi, the people in Philippi, that's a Roman military retirement community. 
They would have recognized this language. They would have known exactly what he's talking about. They would have been familiar if they came from Rome with chariot races, and they would have been familiar with using chariots in battle because they were warriors. They were soldiers. And the people would have known this. The, 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 the second Paul starts using this language, they would have known two things. Number one, you can't run or you can't win the race in front of you by constantly looking in your rearview mirror. And you can't charge into the battle ahead of you by looking at the dust behind you. They would have known that. But what does forgetting really mean? What's Paul really getting at here? The same article I read, this, when it came to the concept of forgetting, it said that the forgetting does not mean obliterating your past, but rather it's the conscious refusal to let it absorb your attention and impede your progress. Something you have to work out. You have to, you have to constantly and consciously refuse to let your past impede your progress. Or for it to be the thing you give your attention to. The Greek word for forgetting here that Paul uses, right, it means this. It means to no longer care about or no longer give concern to. And so what Paul is literally saying would kind of work like this. Whatever happened in my past is now out of my mind. And here's what this means for us when it comes to this plan and path of growing in faith and faithfulness. On one hand, here's what it means. Because of Jesus, our current and future faith and faithfulness are not defined by or limited by our past failures. That's good news, church. Our current faith and faithfulness are not defined by or limited by our past failures. And here's why this is important. It keeps us from getting stuck in shame. Shame sets up around our hearts and our souls like concrete. And there's a difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt would say, I've done blank. Shame says, I am blank. And going back to even my relationship with Christy in our marriage, we could have let a rough first year of dating be the end of our relationship. We could have let the, the kind of collective junk in our past, you know, determine that there's, there's too much baggage in our lives to move forward. We can never overcome this, so let's just call this off. Let's just bury this thing. But that's not the case. And here's the other thing that's really important for us to understand today. Forgetting, right, moving on, deciding to press forward and press in and press on, even in our relationship, it didn't mean that we had to magically forget or pretend that the things in our past never happened. Here's what it means. It means that even though it did happen, and even though we do remember it, we know in our relationship, in our marriage, and in our relationship with Jesus, we know that we're not stuck and we're not defined by what happened in our past. And because of Jesus, there's still a way forward. There's still a way forward in faith and faithfulness. On the other hand, Paul says this, because of Jesus, our current and future faith and faithfulness are not dependent upon our past victories. And this is important, again, because it keeps us from, getting from, from, from landing in arrogance or self-righteousness. Again, think, just thinking practically about our relationships and, and my marriage, right? We didn't stop at the end of like a good run or a good year or a good season and go, you know what? We're done. We're good. This is the best it's ever going to get. We peaked. We didn't stop. So here's what happens. Let me boil this down, make it real simple. Shame rooted in our past when it comes to faith and faithfulness says this, I can't move on. Arrogance, when it comes to our faith and faithfulness and that path and that plan, when it comes to our past, it, it says I don't need to move on. And here's the truth. Both get you stuck. When it comes to faith and faithfulness, both shame and arrogance will get you stuck. And so the plan 
And the path to growing in simple faith and faithfulness is this. It starts with letting go of our pasts, our failures, and our victories. Doesn't mean you have to forget them. Doesn't mean they magically go away. You just don't give your time, effort, or energy, or attention to it. Why? So that we can focus on the work of growing in our faith and faithfulness in the present and the progress of greater faith and faithfulness in the future. Paul says, you want to know how to work the plan? First step. Forget your past. Let it go. You can't win a race by looking in your rearview mirror, and you can't charge into battle by looking at the dust behind you. And that's why Paul says, I, I forget what's behind in my past in order to stretch and strain forward, right? He says, I press on, in verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal and the prize, church, are identical, the same thing. The goal is greater faith, and the prize is a greater life of faithfulness. They're the same thing. They're rooted together. Ben Stewart says it like this. The base of the faithfulness that we live in, right, that we trust through faith, is that we're already in a right relationship with God because of Jesus. And that's where a transformed life comes from, being faithful. That's where it comes from. We all get the blessings of faith up front, and faithfulness follows. We don't have to get stuck in our past. Victories or failures. The goal and the prize are the same. Jesus front loads blessing. When you invite Jesus into your life, you give your life to Christ, he moves into your life. He front loads. You already have a right relationship with God. You have nothing to prove and nothing to earn. It's been given to you. But despite that, it's not a life that's going to be void or absent of straining or stretching. There's going to be times in your faith and your faithfulness when you feel like you're being stretched or maybe even you're coming apart at the seams or you're straining forward when your faith and your faithfulness have found their limit. There will be seasons of this. Like, for example, maybe when you change jobs. You switch jobs to a new company or a new position. Or maybe you take a pay cut to do something different, right? And you've got to figure it out. It's a stretch and it's a strain. How are we going to figure this out? How are we going to make this happen? Are we going to redo our budget? Maybe you move to a new city. It's a new place to live. You're leaving friends and family behind. You're leaving community behind to move into a place where it's like, listen, we don't, maybe you don't know a ton of people here. It's going to stretch you. Maybe you open up your home to, to a foster child. You realize that there are somewhere between eight and 10,000 kids in foster care all looking for a home. Maybe that's a stretch. Maybe that's a strain to say, we're going to open our home to a kid that just needs a roof over their head and someone to look at him and say, I got you. That's a stretch. That's a strain. And here's what Paul would say. Get this, all right? Here's what Paul would say when you find yourself in those moments. Paul would say when you find yourself stretching and straining, that's not the time to back away from faith and faithfulness. That's when you press in. That's when you lean in. That's when you press on. Why? Because you already have the blessing. The blessing is already there. You have nothing to earn, nothing to prove. Pressing forward, what that means is you move even further into the abundant life that Jesus offers. And here's where we're going to land the plane today, right? It says this in verse 15. It kind of closes out this section. Paul says, let those of us who are mature, and the word mature is actually a word that means in process. Let those of us who are in process, not those of us who are perfect, but those of us who recognize, you want to know what mature thinking according to Scripture is? Mature thinking according to Scripture is, is knowing that you're in process. 
That, that's what it means to be a mature Christian. It's not to, to know everything. To have a mature faith and faithfulness is not having all the information. Having a mature faith and faithfulness means I don't have all the information. There's more to be learned. Maturity, according to Paul, is knowing that you're still in process. He says, let all of us who are mature in process think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, just trust that God will reveal it to you. Keep growing. Paul says it's okay to not be there yet. Trust that God can and will get you there. Trust that God will change the way you think, the way you see the world, the way you feel, the compassion. To trust that if you keep pressing in and pressing on, trust that God will change you through faith and faithfulness. And Paul says this, only let us hold true to what we've attained. And I've always thought the ending of this kind of section of scripture was different. Like what does he mean by that? And when I studied this week, I, what, what I learned is it's, it's so freeing, it's so life-giving. Here's what this means. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. It means this. Don't worry about trying to be faithful to what you don't know yet. Be faithful, hold true to what you do know about Jesus. And be faithful and hold true to what you learn and the way you grow going forward. Paul says, listen, just be where you are. Where you are, be there. Based on where you are and what you know and where you are in your relationship, do that. Be faithful to that. Don't worry about trying to be someone you're not. Don't worry about trying to be some place that you're not. Be where you are. Be faithful where you are. Have faith where you are. Press in and press on. And through faith and through faithfulness, you will grow. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Be where you are. Hold true to where you are. Matt Chandler says this, one of the most important aspects in growing towards mature faith and faithfulness is knowing yourself. So for us, growing in simple faith and faithfulness requires knowing where we're weak, knowing where we have room to improve, and not being self-conscious about that, not feeling insecure or weird about that. Being able to admit, this is where I'm weak. This is where I have room to improve. It's okay. I'm being faithful, and I have faith in where I am. I know I want to get further. I know I need the plan and the path, but here's where I know I've got some room to grow. Also knowing our strengths, but recognizing that even in our strengths, we can still get stronger. But I think the most important thing for all of us to know is that we are works in process. We're works in progress. If you hear anything today, hear this. Simple faith and faithfulness are all about progress, not perfection. I had a friend who's working their way through recovery, addiction recovery. This is one of the things that they bring up. They said that, that when it comes to addiction recovery, the thing that they talk about a lot is it's all about progress, not perfection. You're not trying to be perfect. You're trying to make progress. When it comes to simple faith and faithfulness, we train to live like Jesus by striving and straining to know Jesus not just by trying to be like Jesus and attempting to do the things that he did. The way that we'll grow in our faithfulness is faith. Growing in simple faith and faithfulness means that we are people in process. So here's where I want to land today. What's your plan? Do you have one? Do you have a plan to grow in your faith? Do you have a plan to grow in your faithfulness? If you don't, what do you need to do to get one? How are you going to grow? How are you going to press in and press on? 
There are all kinds of opportunities coming up this summer in men's ministry and women's ministry here, student ministry, all kinds of great chances to kind of connect with people, right? Here's what I would suggest. This is what I do. I have mentors in my life, people who are further down the path than I am, that I press in and press on and lean into and respect and listen to. I would say this, based on if you know yourself, if you know where you're weak and you know where you're strong, but you recognize where you can get stronger, what I would say is pair yourself up with someone that might be further down the path than you are. Figure out a time to clear out space on your schedules to grab coffee, grab breakfast, meet, get your families together. Ask the questions that maybe your whole life you've been afraid to ask because people would think, well, how come you don't know that? Those things that would make you insecure and feel like a bad Christian because I'm gonna ask this question, you don't have to worry about that. I can ask the questions I've always wanted to ask. I would suggest when it comes to the plan of the path, that, that could be one of your first, I need to find somebody that's further down the path than me and we need to get together. I need to ask questions. The second suggestion I give you is this, own it. Own your faith and faithfulness. You know, my job, like we say here at Adventure, our job is, is not to make people believe what we believe. It's our job is to get people in Jesus in the same room and let them work things out. You have to take ownership of your faith. I can't make your faith grow. I can't make you be more faithful. All I can do is give you opportunities to get in the same room with Jesus. You have to take personal responsibility for your faith and your faithfulness. You gotta own it which means this, you gotta make it more personal. So what's it gonna take? Do you have a plan? If not, can we help you make one? I'd love to do that. Anyone on our staff, our elders, any of our leaders, any of our, our volunteer leaders that lead small groups and, and home groups, like we'd love to help you put a plan together. We'd love to put you on the path. That's what Jesus is all about. What's your plan? Let's get you a plan. Let's get you on the path. Because as you grow in your faith and your love for Jesus, your faithfulness and your life will follow. It's that simple. Let me pray for us. Today, if, if you want to make a decision for Jesus, today you want to join our church, you want to become a, a, a part of this family of people who are in process, people who are in progress, right? If you need prayer this morning, I'd love to, to chat with you down front. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to make a decision. If you're ready to make a decision today, baptistry's full, the water is warm. We'd love for you to do that as well. I'm gonna pray that we're gonna worship. Jesus, you're good and we love you. We thank you that in a place like this, we can come into a place and say, you know what, I, I don't have all the answers and, and maybe I'm not okay and, and that's okay. But it's so great to know that even in places that we're not okay, you, you meet us in those spots to get us to a place where we are. So God, today I pray when it comes to simple faith and faithfulness that the insecurities begin to drop, that the, the, feelings, the, the, the feelings of needing to be self-righteous, the, the feelings of, of needing to earn it, Lord, that we can let go of those things, the, the things in our past where we feel shame, the, the, the things in our past that lead us to arrogance, Lord, we can let go of those and press forward and press on, even though sometimes it feels like straining and striving feels like our, our faith, it feels like it's being pulled apart at the seams. Father, we know you'll hold us together. You forgive us of our past. You lead us into a present that ultimately points to a future that's better than anything we can imagine. So Jesus, this morning I pray that we walk out of here knowing what it means to simply be faith, have faith and be faithful. To know you 
to allow our love for you to compel us to a new way to live and propel us into a new way to live. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray.